Well, this morning we continue in this series that I started uh, several weeks ago entitled 10 Marks of a Healthy Church. And we've talked about a number of items already. We've talked about who our foundation is. Who is our foundation as a healthy church? It's Christ. What about our prayer life? Is it effective? Yes, it is. How about the idea of growing spiritually? We understand that we haven't arrived, that God's still working on us. We understand that discipline comes in our lives not to destroy us, but to build us up. Healthy churches also value the leaders of all different layers and levels within the organization, within the church itself. And healthy churches also have a deep abiding passion for the lost. Now, I want to show you a picture that my dad had in his office for years and years and years. And I, I, I always kind of chuckle when I see it. Did I include that in the file? Here it is, yeah. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah. And the caption at the bottom usually says, he's taking it all with him. You know how well that works out, right? Casket's only so big, right? It won't all fit in there with you. And you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with church this morning? Well, we're going to talk this morning about what I think is one of the probably most controversial marks of a healthy church. <laughs> Not we have U-Haul trailers behind our, cast, our, our purses, but you might think, what is this? I think it's this. It's the area of possessions, of stuff. Have you ever tried to move a family very far? Oh, my goodness. I remember when we moved here uh, coming up on 10 years ago. Uh, the guy pulled up with an 18-wheeler trailer truck, set out in front of our house, and they started filling it. And I said, oh, there's no way we'll have enough stuff to fill that up. Oh, my gosh. They had to pile. We looked like the clampets when he left, okay? Stuff hanging off the sides of the car, hanging on the top of the truck. They had stuff over here. And finally, we just said, that's not going to make it. That's not going to make it. It's just staying. And I guess the new owners got it, and they probably thought, man, those people left a trash here probably. But anyway, we, we, we are, some of us are hoarders. Some of us think we can take the U-Haul trailer to the cemetery. Some are spenders. Some are generous. Well, some are not. Some are chintzy. For the most part, each of us, when you come to this item issue of possessions, most of us would say something along this line. Pastor, it's none of your business. And I'm going to tell you something. It's none of my business. But I have a responsibility to talk about this because I think it's an area that if we are not careful, it can bind us to where we can't serve God fully. And when we do that, we can't be healthy Christians, and therefore we tend to be unhealthy churches when we come together. I also need you to hear me say this very, very clearly. God does not need your stuff. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the Bible says. He doesn't need what you have to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. You go, I need you to hear that. But we still have to deal with the idea of possessions. What do you do with all this stuff? God is not limited by how many dollars are in your bank account. Do you know that God is not, his economy is not based on the U.S. dollar? When did you hear that? It's bigger than that. Near the end of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he writes to them about an interesting little issue that I had never really studied in, del- in detail in much. I, I knew it was there, and I've seen it, and I've kind of read about it. And it's the issue that was going on uh, where the church at Jerusalem was struggling with 
uh, persecution. When you go over to the book of James, you read about that in detail. We spent the whole uh, whole session a couple of years ago going through the book of James, talking about the trials and the struggles and all that, that the Christian church, the new believers in Jerusalem were dealing with. There was a lot of hard things going on there. And and, and apparently Paul says we need to help those folks. And so what he did as he, as he traveled sharing the gospel, he would share a need that was out there. And the churches began to gather possessions, gather money to send to Jerusalem to help meet the need of that church and the people that are there. It, remember, it was a group of people who who were, uh, uh, there were a lot of widows in the church. That's where we find the issue of deacons coming up in the first time and all those things in there. And there's four things I think he talks to him about here that I want us to see in relation to stuff. Because let's be honest, we all got lots of stuff, right? And we think it's all really, really important that we have all this stuff. So much so we sometimes go out and buy buildings to set up beside our houses to fill up with more stuff. And then we go down and rent boxes and rooms and stuff, more stuff. And we have more stuff than we know what to do with. Go in the attic sometime. And you think, where in the world did all this stuff come from, right? We have a lot of it. So what do we do with it? Look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. You're going, that is a strange text for a sermon on Sunday morning. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But there's some things we can learn here. I want you to see this. The first thing is this. There's a grand call here that Paul issues to the church at Corinth. Now, we got to know a little bit about the church at Corinth to understand why he issued this call to them. The church at Corinth was, one scholar calls them like the church at Vegas. You're going, what? Can you imagine being a Christian in Las Vegas? You're going, really? You know, there are Christians in Las Vegas. There's some really strong churches in Las Vegas. But can you imagine the, 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 the culture in which you live of all the extreme wealth and all the extreme opulence and all the stuff that's there and the money that flows through a place like that? That's Corinth. Corinth was a port city uh, located uh, in a place where they'd been destroyed by war and had been destroyed by earthquakes and had been rebuilt again and again. And at first t- glance, this seems like Paul's just kind of jumping in. Wow, do you remember that offering? You've got to take care of it. You're going, wait, wait. What he's doing is responding to a question that we don't have the, the question, but we're getting the response of what do we do about that offering you told us to be a part of or offered us to be a part of and asked us to be a part of. There had been an effort across the churches of the region to help the church at Jerusalem. They were having a lot of struggles. And as we read in James, they were faced with loss of job, loss of home, loss of life even. And it resulted in people having to move and leave and relocate and try to avoid what's going on. And add to this, there seemed to be a lot of widows in the church. And there was a lot of needs. So here's what happened. In a show of solidarity, the churches in the different parts of the Roman Empire said, let's meet the need. Paul shared the need. He said, let's meet the need. They said, let's do something about it. And it seems the church at Corinth had heard about the need. They had begun to gather an offering. And then somewhere along the way, they got distracted for whatever reason. Maybe a squirrel ran through the room. I don't know. That happens, doesn't it? Things get, we get off track on things. We get off into other things. Corinth was wealthy. This is a place that had lavish pagan temples. This is a place that had large marble p- 
plazas in the city. This is a place that, as I said, was commentators have compared to, to Las Vegas. And within the context, Paul says to them, let's get together something to make a difference. Of all the churches in the new expanding ministry of God's kingdom, this church had the resources. They had the money. They had the ability to do way above what the others. In fact, Paul asked them to look around. He says, you know, the churches over here at Galatia, that's where Paul, I think, was writing from when he wrote this letter. He says, he says, you know, these churches over here, they're kind of struggling. There's some wealthy folks here, but not very many. How about the churches in Macedonia? They got nothing. They're poor. They can't even afford to X second O of the R. Are you with me? These folks are poor, okay? They don't have it. But they're giving to the Lord. They're sharing. He says, I want you to look at that. And what Paul doesn't want them to do is to begin to bring together an offering. He says, I want you to finish what you've already committed to do. Get involved in finishing it up. In fact, in fact, the word that's translated collection here is a Greek word, logia. I won't expect, there's not a test at the end of the class, okay? But, but the word logia, and it means this. It's an extra, extra collection, and it's not compulsory. Now you're going... So I need you to hear this. This, He's not talking about tithing here. You're going, so this is a tithing sermon. No, it's not a tithing sermon. This is a sermon about possessions, about the stuff we have. This is not a tax he's talking about here. It's not even the tithe. It's when we give over and above what we're expected to do anyway to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's what he's talking about here. He said there's something you can do practical, tangible. Do you need to pray for him? He didn't say not to pray for him, but he's saying here you need to give. You need to be a part of this offering to make a difference in the lives of the people back at Jerusalem. So we have a grand call. Number two, we have a grand collection. We have a grand collection. Look at verse 2 again. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul lays out this grand collection. Here he gives what we might call a purposeful approach to meeting the need. Now catch what he says to do here. He doesn't say, show up at the worship service, check your bag, and see if you got anything. Did you catch that? He's talking about planning ahead, thinking ahead. How are we going to make this happen? How are we going to do this? What are we going to set aside? They didn't have uh, fungibles. I'm not even sure what those are. But anyway, they didn't have online banking. They didn't have credit. They didn't have all the things that we have today. They had good old coins. They didn't even have dollar bills. They had coins, real, real coins. You know, the things we carry in our pocket and drop on the parking lot and nobody wants us to pick up. Yeah, those things. That was their money. And what he's telling them to do is if you're living your life, begin to set aside some to make a difference by giving over and above. To give above and beyond. Now, he tells them also, and by the way, this is one of the first references to worship on Sunday in the scriptures. The Hebrew people always worshiped on Saturday, Friday night into Saturday. Christians have worshiped on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And by the way, they probably didn't gather at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know why? It was a work day. They would have to get together at night and worship the Lord. But they'd come together and he's saying, I want you to think about what you're going to do. Plan ahead so that you can be involved in this greater gift by giving over and above. Set aside. Don't just check the pocket when you get here. And he calls them to do this. It's not based on whether you got lots or little. It's based on how God blesses in your life. 
There's been studies after studies done of giving in churches. There are people that actually do that for a living. Isn't that amazing? They study that kind of stuff. And they have found that typically the wealthiest members of churches give percentage-wise the smallest numbers, and the poorer folks give bigger percentages. It's interesting how that intends to be an inverse there. And I'm not throwing a stone. I'm just sharing it with you. And he's saying, don't check the poll, check your pocket. Just bring it. Plan to bring it and lay it down and do it. Healthy churches understand generous living is not merely a commitment, but it's something that takes planning to happen. To sit down in a family meeting with a husband or wife, if that's the situation, or by yourself and say, God, what am I going to do? to give to the kingdom of God. If we don't think about it, it probably won't happen. And you're going, so? You said you didn't need our money. And you don't want, but I want you to know that when we choose to opt out of participating in God's generosity, you know who misses out on the blessing? We do. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be blessed. I remember one old preacher would always say this, equal sacrifice but not equal giving. And they always talked about how we got to figure out a way to do that and to be part of that. Okay, so we have a grand call, a grand collection, and then we have a grand conveyance. And you're going to conveyance. I'm, you know, I'm a slave to alliteration sometimes, so we get some interesting words here. But look at verse 3. Paul tells them this, when I arrive, so where is Paul? He's not at Corinth. We got that, okay? He's not there. He says, but when I arrive... I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So we know exactly where the gift is going, and we're going to find out who's going to get it there. Paul had written them, I think he was in Ephesus, doesn't really matter, he was writing from somewhere else. And he had been at Corinth for a long time. If you remember the story, when Paul got to Corinth, he showed up with a gospel team of of Silas and Timothy. And they began to share the gospel, get this, at the synagogue. You know why? Because that's the pattern they did. Every time they went to a new town, they'd go to the Jews first. And if the Jews accepted the gospel, they would continue to work there. And if they didn't, they would go to plan B. By the way, guys, we're plan B, okay? Aren't you glad you're plan B? I am. Anyway, they'd get to town, and they went to the synagogue. Guess what happened? They said, no, 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 not here. Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's not the promised one. And they kicked Paul out. So Paul got kicked out. So he, <laughs> I love it. He went next door, literally next door to a guy's house named Titius Justice, who had received the gospel with great joy and began to proclaim the gospel and to gather a church next door to the synagogue for the next 18 months. Paul was a troublemaker. You know that? You'd think, find a location, not quite in the middle of it all. But there he is, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. And these people who have got wealth and resources are coming to Christ. They're coming to faith. They're coming to to transformation in Jesus. Amen? Good stuff. But Paul's not a pastor. Paul was a church planter. He was an apostle. So he wasn't going to stay there long. He was there 18 months. And he moved on to start other churches and other places. But people shared with the church at Corinth the need was there. Now, somewhere along the way, Paul has traveled back to Jerusalem, and now I think he's headed back to Corinth, and he sends the letter ahead of them to say, get it ready, we're going to send it. And y'all pick out some folks to take it. They could not get online and hit tick, 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 send, okay? It's amazing. This morning, I got in the office this morning and played three bills. 
and never wrote a check. Isn't that amazing? You can just click, 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 and where'd the money go? We can't, they didn't do that. They had to get out there and move it, literally. And Paul says, I don't want to be involved in coming to get, trying to get the offering together. Get it done before I get there. i got more important things to talk about than money. i got to talk about the gospel. i got to talk about Jesus. i got to talk about salvation. And we got to take those things into account. And he says, but we got to get it there. we got to take care of it. Here's what I want, here, there's, there's something I want you to catch here. Healthy churches do something that's healthy. They figure out ways of having good systems where we take care of this stuff honorably and we bless others through what God has blessed us with. We figure out ways to get that on to other folks. They don't run, I wrote it this way, willy-nilly through the streets going, what are we going to do now? they got a plan. they got an idea. Here's what we're going to accomplish. They put in place systems of business that are good, that are honorable, that are God-blessing. And for them, it meant this. We're going to have a couple of folks who are going to travel to Jerusalem to deliver the gift. Because that's the way it had to be done then. They're going to make a journey. But it was something that needed to be done. So we have a grand call, a grand collection, a grand conveyance. And then, the more I studied on this, the more I realized that this really is kind of the why, one of the big whys behind why we do what we do with the things that we have. And it's the grand connection. Hang in there with me. Here's what he says. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now you're probably thinking, why is Paul involved in delivering an offering? Because that's, that's the gist of what he's saying there. Hang in there with me. While Paul had been called and called upon the church at Corinth to select representative or representatives to make the journey, he was practical enough to say, I may need to go with them to introduce them to the people at Jerusalem. They weren't Facebook friends. You all with me? They hadn't communicated on social media. They hadn't sent an email. They haven't made a phone call. These people had never met each other and probably never would because of the distance between Corinth and Jerusalem. Oh, about the distance between Denver and Miami, okay? This is a long way off. It wasn't just a short trip. It was a, a, a weeks-long journey by sea to come around the Mediterranean, and then you had to travel inland to get there. It's a long way there. And Paul, so Paul, what he does, he says, if I need to go, I will. You're going, okay. Why was he doing that? That's what, that's what stumped me as I was trying to prepare this one. I'm going, Paul, you're not that important. You all with me? We sometimes think that we are the ones that have got to do it all. I'm becoming more and more acute to the reality that I can't do much, and when I do, I just do okay. And I need to quit trying to do it all and let others do the ministry that we're called to do. But Paul sees the big picture here of what they're doing. Now, over and over again, and this is where the answer started to come into focus for me. He uses an interesting word to describe giving. It's a word that I wanted to name our daughter if we had had a third daughter, a third child, but I was overruled. And the name is Karis. You're going, Karis. Karis means this. It means grace. It means grace. He did this because they were doing, what they were doing was something that was flowing out of God's grace for others. He says, we're going to do a grace giving here. 
we're going to do a caris giving here. They understood God's grace to them, and by participating, they said, we get to be the ones who reveal and reflect God's caris, God's grace to others. Do you see what's going on here? I was going, wow, this is something amazing. They understood that God's grace had been given to them, and then by taking what God has entrusted them, they could turn around and grace others, bless others, and make a difference in other people's lives. Paul also uses a couple other words in Corinthians to describe giving. He uses two words that you'll probably recognize, koinonia and diakonos. And you're going, koinonia is like fellowship, isn't it? Yeah. And diakonos is like a deacon. Well, it means literally servant, service. And that's what he's talking about here. What Paul seems to be referring to here, I believe, is the grand connection that comes when we get in on what God's up to by taking what he's entrusted to us and invested in others. I'm going to apply that here in a minute, but hang in there with me. For the church at Corinth, this was what? They had physical needs. That was the need. And by them participating in that offering, they would meet the need, but more importantly, they would strengthen their connection because there's something special that happens when we help others in our lives. The connection grows. So what do we do with this? I'm aware of the time, and it's okay. The Cowboys don't play today. Of course, they don't play most weeks. But anyway, hey now, number one, faithful giving meets great needs. You don't have to do it all, folks. You just have to do what God places on your heart to do. And when you do that and we come together and work together, he'll meet the need. One of the amazing things about the God of the Bible is this. He is always at work to meet the needs of people. He is at work so that those in our world don't suffer. And they don't suffer as we who have been blessed do what he calls us to do. But get this, the primary way he does this is through the rest of us. Have Have you ever seen pennies literally falling from heaven to meet the need? Me either. God typically meets the needs of those in life through those of us whom he has immensely blessed. Instead, God meets them through like us. Look what Paul told the Philippian church. He said, and my God will supply some of your needs, a few of your needs, all of your needs, every one of your needs, according to how good you are. Catch this. He says, it's not according to you or how it's based on what you do. It's based on my glory and my riches. I am 100%, 1,000% convinced that God's storehouse is completely full for any need that we have and any need he wants to meet. But he needs conduits through whom it needs to flow. That's us. Healthy Christians, healthy churches understand that we have a privilege in participating in the broader work of God, not only by returning the tithe to the church, because I think that's what the scriptural model is, but of being participating in more than that, of giving over and above when God lays the need on our heart and the opportunity arises. We do it because we grasp the importance of generosity. God gave His Son. He calls us to give his son in so many ways. The church at Corinth was comprised of primarily well-to-do people. They had a lot of money. So they had an extra burden to step up. As it said in Scripture, too much to whom much is given, much is required. 
Those who've been doubly blessed have the opportunity to give over and above. And healthy churches have people within them who have been greatly blessed, and they give proportionally to what they have. Second, giving happens as we live with margin. I picked this up from uh, Andy Stanley, this idea of margin. I thought it was a fascinating concept, and the more I've thought about it, there's such value in this, is that it's, I think it's one that we really need in our day. You know, we, a big part of being able to give, to, give, to give generously is that we have to have some excess in our life. I don't know about you, but so many of us seem to spend everything we make. You know, I, I've made a whole lot more money than I make now, and I make a, I made a whole lot less money than I make now, and it always seems like we tend to spend almost as much as we take in. You'll find that to be true. And that's because we haven't learned how to live with a margin, an edge that says, okay, I've got some over here. That's the area that we need to think about. It may seem old-fashioned to you, but this idea of living within our means is actually a quite biblical concept, that we live with what we got. You go, but I want what they have, and I want what he has, and I want what they have. And I'm going, i got to tell you, God blesses you as God's going to bless you, and as you are faithful to serve and to work and to do the things that you need to do, he blesses. Leave some margin in your life to do something beyond yourself. Because if we constantly live beyond our mean, we cannot help others when the need arises. You, know, you hear a need at church, you'll hear a need in the community, and you hear, I need to step up and help that. And you look at your bank account and go, I don't think so. I don't have it. The credit card company wants more of it. The cell phone company wants more of that. The utilities have got to be, y'all with me? I mean, we all have those issues. And while you and I can't meet every need in life, we can, from time to time, step up to make a difference if we build our lives with some margin in them. I think that's why Paul says this, put aside something aside and store it up as you prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. as God blessed, they needed to step back and go, okay, what's out beyond my life? This is where we struggle as Americans, don't we? We are so concerned about what's in our little world that we want to fill it up with all of our stuff, and then when we get to the end of life, we have to have a U-Haul trailer to pull behind the hearse to get to the cemetery. Y'all with me? I don't know if you've had the privilege of trying to clean out one of your parents' stack of possessions. Many of you have, I know. I've gone through that once. I've got another one to go someday, hopefully in the long-time future. But I'm trying to figure out what to do with the stuff that they thought was so important that you look at and go, hmm, who could have used this? I, I was thinking about what the writer of Proverbs said. He said this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Isn't that interesting? We think, well, if I will hold back, if I'll hoard, if I'll keep what I want, then I'll have everything I need. And I think the biblical model is the exact opposite. That as we give, God's storehouse comes into focus and begins to flow through us and we make a difference in the lives of others. Some of you are going to be like, I'm crazy this morning. I got it. Because this is so opposite of the way our culture works. But you understand that God is bigger than our culture. His thoughts are greater than our ways. We don't give to get, but we give and we're blessed. And then one more principle I want you to see, and I want to share 
a little story that goes with it, but it's this, is that giving deepens our connections. Are you thinking, what does that mean? There's something about healthy churches where they have a great relationship with each other. And you're thinking, well, yeah, they, they go to potlucks together. They sit in Sunday school together. They go to worship together. Yeah, they go on trips with singer adult group or youth group or all those things together. We get together. Y'all with me? We do that. But, but some of what really binds us together is, is our generosity. I want to challenge you. If you're not giving consistently of some kind to your church, your connection to your church is going to be less than someone who is. You're probably thinking, well, no, I show up more than they do. I don't know what anybody gives. Y'all know that, don't you? I have no access to that stuff. I also know this, that everything we do as a church comes from us. You know, Southern Baptist Convention sends us $0 a year. They have consistently done that now for 150 years, okay? They only ask us to give to support missions, to be part of the convention. So everything we do comes from us, us, okay? My family, your family, all the families around us. And what happens is as we give our connection to the body of Christ and to each other grows because we invest some of what God has given us into what we're doing together. Y'all see, you with me? When we don't invest in it, you know, you go out and get a free meal. You go, man, I got a free meal. Yeah, so what? But you go out and pay $60, $70 for a meal. You go, what better been good, right? You put a little more investment in it. Maybe you carry a few pounds home, right? Listen to what Mark, what Paul said was a mark of a healthy Christian. He said, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And be stingy. Know what he says? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show Hospitality. Healthy churches don't see giving as a chore. They don't see it as something we do begrudgingly because we got to do it. We got to pay the preacher. It's more than that. I remember a few years ago, we were involved in, in, in some missions down in central Mexico in a village called Palmias. Palmias Tamaulipas. I learned how to say all that because I had to. It doesn't matter. It's a, t- a village of about 2,000 in the mountains of north-central Mexico. And there was one church in that community, and you can probably guess what denomination it was, being in Mexico. And we believed that we needed to share the gospel there. And so we started to go to that community with some missionaries from the International Mission Board, and we would do gospel saturation. We would do sports camps. Can you imagine me leading a sports camp? Yeah, just put that in your mind and laugh. But I learned how to say una fila, get the kids in one line. That's, you know, I learned that. But anyway, and we began to share the gospel. And then God placed on our heart that we need to try to start a church in that community and have a gospel witness in that community. And we began to pray for God to provide a man to come and to be a part of doing that. His, come to find out his name was uh, Carlos Garcia. Well, that sounds Mexican, doesn't it? He moved and his wife, Milsa, moved up from Mexico City. But do you realize that even in Mexico, it's not free to live? So a number of families in our church came together and said, we're going to commit X number of dollars for three years over and above our giving. And you're going, why are you telling us this? I'm not telling this to brag. Please hear. I was not, we were not one of the biggest contributors of that project. We were small potatoes, okay? But every gift 
went in to make a difference in planting that church in that community and supporting him for the three years until they could get going, they're still there today. Ten years later, preaching the gospel, loving people to Christ. You go, how did that happen? God opened the door. We just got to be looking for those opportunities. Maybe the need's in Jerusalem. Maybe it's in Palmyas. Maybe it's right here in our community. But as God opens those, eye, those doors to us and we see it with our eyes, you say, man, that's crazy, Patrick. Now, God didn't work like that. God absolutely works that way. He wants to work through you and me to make a difference in the lives of others through the stuff that we have. Because let me tell you what, when they load the U-Haul trailer at the end of the day, it's not going with you. It may ride to the cemetery, but it's not going with you. Take it and invest it in others. How does that start? Well, the inevitable question comes to this. You've got to know Jesus, right? You think, how did you come back to Jesus? It's all about Jesus. We need to know him first and foremost. See, people who don't get this kind of stuff go, nobody gives money away like that. Nobody gives possessions away like that. Those of us who've sold our lives out to Jesus do. Why? Because we believe that God uses us to make a difference in the lives of others. So the first place to start is a relationship with Christ. Maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you need to make a public stand for Christ. Maybe you need to say, I've done that. I need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you need to commit your life to a local congregation. You'll never find a perfect church. But you'll find people who want to love each other and walk together as we're faithful for everything he's done. Father, we thank you so much for loving us today. Whether we, we know this was kind of an unusual topic, but Father, we pray that you'd help us understand that what we do with the stuff you entrust us to us makes a difference in how we live. Father, I pray for those who have some type of decision they need to make today, some to trust you in salvation, some to commit their lives to the local congregation because they know you, others who just go, God, I've been hoarding what you bless me with. And I want to try to be faithful or more faithful in giving of what you've given me. Father, I pray you'll bless this time as we sing, as we worship, as we respond in Jesus' name.